This is Nika Danilova from Zola Jesus, and you're listening to The New Scene. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The New Scene. I'm your host, Keith. And we're back with a brand new episode. And in the guest host chair tonight, we've got returning guest, Joe Grillo. Joe, how's it going? Fantastic, man. Things are wonderful. Having a hell of a day, honestly. We've got a great show for you today. We've got Chris Enriquez, and you know him from his latest band on Iodine Recordings. You know him from many other wonderful bands as well, Spotlights, Primitive Weapons. We cover it all. We cover all the bands. We cover the new light tower ep on iodine recordings and we just talk bands we like shows we went to growing up in new york this we really covered it all on this one it's a really great conversation and that's coming up in a minute he's a hell of a guy to talk to as well you know i mean he's got so many great stories and so many great experiences that he's he's a wealth of knowledge uh and chris is pretty he's a pretty special guy absolutely yeah you've known him for a while now right God, 20 some odd years. Yeah. 22 years, maybe is the first time I met him. And he's just, you know, he's, he's a lifer. He's one of those people that you, you, if you play music, uh, on any sort of touring capacity, um, he's just someone that you are fortunate to know. Uh, he's, he's a peer and, um, someone I look up to and, and, uh, someone I'm inspired by. He, he's a, he's a really fantastic guy and pisses me off how talented he is. You know, like you you see him play drums and you're like, okay, that's fine. You're a good drummer. But then you see him pick up a guitar and I'm like, God damn it, man. He's better at guitar than I am. And I spent a long time playing guitar. Uh, He's better at bass than I am. He plays bass in in Judas Knife, one of my bands. Um, He's just one of those nonstop, uh, you know, you you cannot, you cannot stop Chris Enriquez. He is a a force. He really is. I had no idea he played bass in Judas Knife. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. we didn't even mention that yeah yeah it's it's something else well yeah but we cover it all from his beginning in on the might of princes mm-hmm. all the way up until light tower and you know he's subbed in for a lot of legendary bands and and as joe just mentioned he's very versatile i really yeah i really connected with him this interview was the first time i spoke to him but our taste really seems to line up and light tower is right in that pocket of stuff that i like it's really good yeah, it it hits all those bases, you know. I mean, like you can you can hear. It's always nice to hear somebody wearing their influences on their sleeve, but making the making their own music with their own unique voice, you know. And so, like, you can listen to it and be like, "Oh, I see his touchstones," but he's creating something that is unequivocally Chris. A hundred percent, and uh, that's coming up momentarily. But let's get some business out of the way. Here's how you can support us. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at New Scene Pod. Follow our YouTube channels. We've got a main channel with full episodes. We've got a clips channel with highlights from our favorite episodes. And we have a new gaming channel that has uh, gaming content from my Twitch streams and other content that I make. Check those out. We've got shirts. We've got new shirts. And if you haven't seen them, they're great. We've got t-shirts. We've got logo t-shirts. We've got the Life is Music is Life long sleeve in a t-shirt option. Now grab one of those. It's a great way to support the show. You know, the funds from those shirts directly help me with the cost of this show. And I put all the money I make, I put right back in 
I want to get a new audio set up soon. It's time to take it to the next level. So if you can help out and if you want to look good doing it, grab a t-shirt. And uh, reviews, open up your Apple podcast or Spotify application. Give us a five-star review if you like the show. And if you write a nice review on Apple podcasts, I will read it on the air. I wanted to share a nice message I got from Wolfsbeard on Instagram. They said, hey, Keith, keep up the great work. You keep me engaged with your guest interviews and choice of guests. New scene is a cut above the rest. I can really tell that you respect and protect the hardcore aesthetic. Keep going strong, brother. So Wolfsbeard, thank you so much for the nice message. Always nice to hear from everybody. And you can always email me at newscenepod at iodinerecords.com. And Joe, since you're one of the men behind the scenes at Iodine Recordings, why don't you give us the Iodine updates? Oh my God, so too many to mention. Um, Iodine has been so busy recently. Um, we did the Stretch Armstrong Rituals of Life reissue. Um, I think that sold out in about 12 hours. Uh, that was about 2,500 records. There's a hand, but there, now I say that there might be a handful left in Europe. We just released the first single off the Darling Fire, uh, their new album, Distortions. The pre-order is up for that now. Orange Island, which was a reissue for uh, One Night Stay, which arguably um, their finest release. Uh, pretty, pretty gorgeous stuff from those guys that I didn't get to see uh, the light of day or at least as much light of day as it gets now. Nathan Gray and the Iron Roses LP finally came out. So that is on the table. Her head's on fire. Uh, the fourth single for that came out, Rising Tide. And that album comes out this Friday, the 29th. We've just been busy, man. Um, things are going great uh, between that. Hey, thanks. Smoker Fire, Attempt Survivors, One Line Drawing finally came out. The record It's nice to see people sending in photographs of the beautiful vinyl. Um, it's nice, you know, it's like you do all this hard work and that, uh, you know, behind the scenes and just you get that moment of someone enjoying the art, enjoying the, the physical uh, and audio artwork that someone's done. And that's the payoff. You know, that's that's what makes everybody happy. That's awesome. Yeah, there's so many great bands, tons of great stuff happening all the time. It's almost too much to even keep up with, especially for you, I'm sure, Joe, because you're working on all of it all the time. Yeah, but you know what? I'm, I'm it makes me constantly inspired. I haven't um I went through a burnout phase in my late 20s, but I got over it. I'm re-inspired into everything right now. Yeah, I feel the same way, you know, working on the podcast constantly, uh working with you and Casey constantly. It's it's like I'm working constantly, but it's stuff I want to be doing. So I'm just I feel fulfilled all the time. All right, so let's talk about some music recommendations. And I'm kind of still listening to all the same stuff. So Joe, what are you listening to? We need to give the people some new things to listen to. You know, I listen to things that sound like I do a lot more drugs than I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Warpaint uh, have a new record called Radiate Like This. It's absolutely gorgeous. I'm, I'm constantly floored when I listen to the interplay that that band has. Um, it makes me want to practice more. Um, Firefriend, which is a sort of psych rock band from Brazil. I just discovered in the last like year and a half, maybe two years, and I've gotten really into like digging into their back catalog. Um, so, so much beautiful stuff to kind of trance out to. Um, Caterpillars from Texas have a brand new record, kind of in that, you know, Thursday, Jimmy Eat World kind of world, especially with some of their harmonies and the middle eights of some of their songs. So the where they change chord structures, get really into that beautiful um static prevails clarity era 
Jimmy Eat World stuff. Um, I've been really into that. You know, as much as I listen to stuff on iodine records and demos from my own bands, that's the stuff that's like, you know, turning me on right now. Uh, that Caterpillars record sounds really appealing. I got to check that out. It's dope. You, you, it's up your alley. You'd really enjoy it. Speaking of Texas, Joe, do you know I'm in Texas right now? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I flew here. Uh, yes, to our listeners, we're li- I'm coming to you live from Dallas, Texas right now. So if it sounds a little different, that's why I'm not uh, at my normal setup. But I rushed here to the hotel to record this podcast with Joe for you. I mean, I, I just give and give, Joe. Isn't it wonderful? It's uh, You're one in a million. <laughs> Well, check back in with me and Joe in segment three, because I want to know what he's up to. I want to know what her head's on fire is up to. I want to know what Judas Knife is up to. And I want to know what you're up to personally, Joe. I'm going to dig into your personal life as well. Does that sound okay with you? Uh, I'm an open book as far as you know. Okay, good. So yeah, there'll be more from us. But right now, we are going to speak to Chris Enriquez of Light Tower. Enjoy. now with Chris Enriquez. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. I really appreciate it. Yes, Chris, it's wonderful to have you here. You know, reading about you, you seem to be one of the busiest people in music. We've got spotlights. We've got primitive weapons. We had previously on the Might of Princes, I read that you're a drum teacher. And of course, we have the exciting Light Tower EP out now on Iodine Recordings. And Chris, we're going to cover all of that. But first, I must ask you a very important question. How are you doing today? I'm good. I uh, You kind of like nailed it. I'm pretty busy. So I've had a busy day, but it's all self-inflicted at this point. So I, I if I ever complain about it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's my doing. So, but no, I'm, I'm really good. I, it's a, it's a beautiful, as you know, you're local. So it's a beautiful evening here in New York and uh, I'm, I'm loving the summer right now. So good good vibes the weather is nice the vibes are nice you know this morning i was my fire and carbon monoxide alarm woke me up at six in the morning and would not stop beeping so i had to get up and walk to the bodega to buy some batteries and i was upset but i was also happy because i'm like hey it's six o'clock in the morning i'm walking around nobody's out it's nice it's nice to get out and walk around in this city it is it's we needed uh, a summer like this i know that um you know, it's not like we're, you know, totally safe yet from, from this horrible, uh, 
COVID uh, situation. But at the same time, I think, you know, the, the, the city is, is vibrant again and shows are happening and bars are open and I'm, I'm really into socializing. So it feels really nice to, to, to be out again. And like you said, even if you're just going for a walk, it's, it's, it's the time to do it. It's beautiful, you know? So I'm loving New York right now. Exactly. You grew up here, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I was in Long Island, but not very far. So I, I did come here uh, as early as, you know, I can remember, you know, single digits. So it's it's home. <laughs> yeah, it must be a trip growing up here because I don't know. My life seemed pretty crazy just being in the suburbs of Philadelphia. But being in New York City at a young age, I mean, was it nuts? or is it, Or is it just life because you're here? It was life, and I think that um, because my my parents started uh, the family here, uh, you know, they were they met in in uh, the seventies in New York when it was at its uh, height of craziness, right? And then in the eighties, it was pretty wild, and my sibling uh, was was raised in Stuyvesant Town. So to to us, you know, even when they were bringing me down here, I was born in nineteen eighty, so I was coming here pretty early on, like. I don't think that we realized it was that crazy. And they always make fun of me uh, when I when I tell them about how insane some of the things are here because they're like, it never dawned on them, right? Because it was just sort of waking up and seeing what was in front of them. So it was never, it was not much to compare it to. Uh, I think now looking back at what it was like uh, going to shows when I was allowed to kind of come in on my own with my friends, I can tell there's a big difference. But at the same time, it, it really feels like we still have, uh, you know, a, a lot of exciting things happening. It's 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 different, but it's also not at the same time. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. It does. Talk about some of your formative show going experiences and when they occurred. You know, I'm curious about everybody's entry point in the scene and the bands they loved. Like I got my start going to shows in. Philadelphia and uh, the surrounding areas and everything was new and exciting. There was a lot of violence. There was a lot of scary stuff, but there was also a lot of great stuff. Good friends, good bands, all that. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned violence because uh, we we kind of assumed that if you were going to go to certain shows that that was kind of part of the reason you were there. Not that you wanted to get hurt, but it wasn't uh, like today when I think some people are sort of like uh, more offended by stuff. Like I knew when I was going to Coney Island High in the 90s that I was at risk from the moment that I walked <laughs> in there. Um, but it was also like that on Long Island. So, you know, to answer your question, I, I had some older friends uh, in my high school. I grew up in a town called Manhasset. And between some of the seniors, I was probably, uh, I don't know, uh, I was 14 years old when I went to my first hardcore show. And it was a mixture of uh, a, a dude named Monty, who he grew up with like the Bridge Nine guys. And I remember him like talking about that before it became a thing. He was uh, in Vermont and knew all those people. And he was a bit older. He had a car and he was into really good music. And he took us to a place called PWAC, uh, which was a very legendary place on Long Island that uh, hosted shows from uh, Fugazi to Avail to Bouncing Souls. So um, my first show there uh, was probably in 1994 or sometime around that time. It was Avail with Bad Trip and Garden Variety. And um, it was fucking nuts, man. Like I, 
I walked into this place. It was the People with AIDS Coalition. So it was sort of this uh, kind of like a, a, a raw space that did events to benefit HIV and AIDS uh, research and, and victims and just sort of like uh, a, everything was always a charity over there. And it was run by people who were in bands like Salt Majority and Mind Over Matter and uh, Millhouse. Uh, they were on uh, a, a label called Wreckage Records. And those people were probably, uh, you know, a good eight, nine years older than me at the time. And that was sort of my introduction to Long Island Hardcore. And the rest from there, I kind of figured out through flyers and, you know, uh, word of mouth and whatnot. So you're telling me your first show was a Vale and Garden variety? It was, that was my first show on Long Island, but I did, it's, it's, it's a blur right around that time. My friend's older brother took us to see Sick of It All and Helmet at Roseland. And I wow. can't remember which one was first, but that was my first New York City show. And then that show that you just uh, uh, mentioned was my first Long Island show. It was kind of like right in the same time period. Incredible. Yeah, I've heard a lot about – I remember Coney Island High from back in the day, but I didn't make it up to New York City for many shows. It just seemed like so distant and so far, like this mystical land almost. Yeah, I mean, I think back then, just going to another town in Long Island seems like going outside of your comfort zone, you know? So that's what made it uh, so exciting is – you know, just going outside of like the place that you go to high school and seeing other people like you. And now it's probably not as strange, but I, I, I think that because we lived in a pre-social media world, it was uh, a little bit more like there was more of a wow factor when you when you when you experience things like that. Exactly. It's so weird thinking about the past when I was here. One of my first shows, it was actually my first show in New York City. I think it was a Revelation Records showcase or maybe an equal vision record showcase i can't remember but it was at this club in the village and it was saves a day and game face and converge and all these other bands and i walk by it now and i'm like wow like i actually know this neighborhood and look there's Katz's two blocks away and i didn't even know what that was at the time it's just it's weird to like understand the city now after all this time it is and i think uh i think that like the the age of innocence is is sort of what we're talking about because you're kind of stumbling into things and you're not sure what to expect and 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 that sort of lack of awareness really is 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 a time that you can never replicate so so to have those experiences especially uh f- for people like us who were in that pre-social media period it's it's just a special thing man i, I don't it's it's hard to put into words and i i know what you're talking about cuz I, I don't recall being at that particular show, but I was at shows where a lot of those bands played. And it was always just like, I mean, sometimes I didn't even know what I was going to see. Like the first time I saw Lifetime, they were opening up for Bouncing Souls and I never heard of them. And, you know, years later, they're this legendary band. And, uh, you know, I can say that about so many. At the Drive-In was another one. You know, these are bands that I just literally stumbled into a place and they were playing and I had no idea who they were, you know? Right. Yeah, it's I like the way you put that the age of innocence and you know that's something that we experienced that'll never come back because now I can just go somewhere and jump on Google Maps and there's pictures of the place and I know exactly where to go there's no more wandering there's no more scariness you know I guess the only way to replicate that would be to go to a completely different country where I don't know the language and I'm sure I would get myself really lost <laughs> That's a that's a really good point I mean 
Uh, I guess the closest thing that you could do with that is uh, maybe when you're in another city that you're unfamiliar with, like you said, but it's, it, it is really hard to replicate that because if we were uh, in a time period where I could be like, oh, I heard about at the drive-in on, on the algorithm on Spotify and it came up on a playlist, maybe I wouldn't have been as shocked or, or taken back when I walked in and there they were on stage at Tramps opening up for Archers of Loaf and Knapsack, like a bunch of fucking Hispanic dudes from Texas losing their minds, you know? I, uh, I, I wasn't prepared for that when I walked into that room, you know? <laughs> That's one. That's one band I never saw. I think I would say that's the band I really wish I would have seen more than anything because everybody who talks about them like still remembers that live show, no matter who it is. It was really, uh, you know, I, and and context always makes a lot of difference here. Like it was really something else. I mean, I wasn't around to see, let's say, uh, a Nation of Ulysses, for example, and I know that's where a lot of that sort of refused at the drive-in and whatever, you know, they, they kind of like came from that cloth, but you know, maybe I would have felt that way if I was in DC at the right time and saw that, but I, I never was. So when I saw at the drive-in and uh, they were just bouncing off the walls, playing this music, I was totally mesmerized and I needed to buy their album. I think it was uh, in casino out. And uh, I, I, it was a life changing thing at that time, you know. It was really special. Oh, big time! Yeah that that's the that's the first one I, that hooked me with them as well. So, when did you decide you wanted to start playing, and how did you get started? I was playing actually really early on. I was about maybe eight or nine years old because I was uh, watching MTV at the time, and I was really into uh, rock music. It was sort of a nice outlet for me uh, to. You know, I wasn't into sports or things like that. And I just really needed an outlet. And for some reason, I gravitated towards rock music. And I loved watching these metal and hard rock bands on MTV, which was mainstream at the time. So I, I picked up on that pretty quickly. And the drummers in these videos resonated with me. Um, it's, it's, it's almost unexplainable, but I just would watch the drummers and, and something clicked. And so I learned how to play drums from listening to like, Guns and Roses, Appetite for Destruction, and uh, and 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 probably like some Motley Crue and that sort of thing. And I started my first bands when I was in high school, and when I discovered hardcore, um, I started playing in the local scene. So I was probably eight or nine when I started, and about fourteen when I started actually like getting out and playing, uh, you know, with with other bands in that sort of uh, underground culture. Wow. So you got an early start. Yeah. 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 I can't say that I was necessarily aware of much, but I was uh, looking back at, I am very fortunate that I got that leg up for sure. Plus being a drummer and wanting to be a drummer is great because you're, you're just guaranteed to always be in multiple bands. There's a shortage <laughs> of drummers. It's so strange. I still don't understand why, but you're absolutely right. There's always uh, a band seem to go through drummers uh, all the time, or just they just never can hold one down. I, 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 I know. Uh, over the years, people have have hit me up because nobody can ever hold one down. So I, 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 I but I don't know why. I really don't know why. Well, I think um, you know, I, I think it's one of, if not the most important pieces of the band. It really shapes everything. You're right. There's that sort of uh, ongoing joke or saying, which is your band is as good as your drummer, and. Uh, that's that's proven if you listen to like 
Bleach by Nirvana, which is a fantastic album, and then you hear Dave Grohl playing those songs live. It's like night and day. You know, it's a different band. Yeah. <laughs> so you're playing locally. I'm thinking about the logistics of being in a band in New York City. You're out on Long Island, so I guess you're just getting driven everywhere, right? I was really close. So I was either getting driven or, you know, we had the train line for me to get to Manhattan was about 30 minutes. So I was like just uh, on the border of Queens. So, um, you know, it was, it wasn't hard to get there for shows, but if I was to go see shows, but if I was playing, I would uh, take a ride. And it was again, still like, it was under an hour. It would be like 45 minutes tops to, to, to drive in there. Yeah. It's a pain being in a band here because I don't know, you, you have to like shove everything into an Uber or, who knows what they you weren't carrying drums on the subway with you back in the day, were you? No, and I don't recall backline being a thing, you know, for for non musicians listening, like backline is is basically like when you show up to a club and they just have equipment for for you. Um yeah. I don't think I could be wrong, but maybe we never thought to ask, but I, I don't recall that being available to us back then. <laughs> so you had to you had to figure it out. Yeah, I don't remember backline being a thing at all. Then again, I wasn't seeing shows at many legitimate spots, so who knows? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I really don't know, but um, but you're absolutely right. We, I had a, I had like a soccer mom van, and I was able to drive myself around by the time I was eighteen. But prior to that, it was either my parents who were very uh, supportive and cool, or uh, or or a buddy that was older that would have to help us lug our shit in there. Yeah, remember we would do car caravans and everything to get to shows and whatnot. Yeah, uh, you know, and if your if your friend's band was playing or if you knew somebody, then even better than they you consolidate. <laughs> exactly. So on the Might of Princes, this was the first band where you really got out into the world and started touring and everything. Yes. Yes, correct. Let's talk about that. Talk about kind of how it came together and and how you started getting out into the world and playing. So On the Might of Princes was a band that I heard about because they were on a flyer for a, a Promise Ring American football show at NYU, which had to have been around uh, early 98. And I was uh, at that time getting into things like Fugazi and Jawbox, and I'd seen sort of uh, and, and Sunny Day and all that stuff, you know, right? And I, I think I saw Promise Ring at the PWAC around that time. So my tastes were evolving and I couldn't believe there was a band from where I was from that was kind of uh, in that profile because most of the stuff I had been exposed to was uh, either like kind of lifetime type stuff or real tough guy, mad ball kind of stuff. There was either one or the other, you know, it was not much in between. There was a couple of cool indie rock bands, but um, for the most part, that's what I was kind of uh, seeing anytime my friends wanted to go out. So I I found out about these guys and saw them and loved it. It was kind of like unwound or 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 just one of those cool bands that you had heard about but never would you ever see something like that in your local scene. So I quickly befriended them and found out that they were looking for a drummer. Um their drummer at the time Nicole played on the first full length and parted ways. So um really nice people. And I tried out and I was in the band around 98 or so. And that's when we started working on uh, the album, Where You Are and Where You Want to Be, 
Um, and, and my first tour took place like right before we recorded that. Not, not a very glamorous tour. I'm sure you've heard the tales before, but, uh, it was really nice to get outside of the city and see what the rest of the country was like. And, uh, we certainly experienced it <laughs> to say in the very least. Yeah. How was that for you? I mean, the first tour I did was in 2002 and it was a full U.S. And it was certainly not glamorous. You know, if you managed to get a hotel one night, like that was the <laughs> pinnacle of glamour. And that was not that was not a common thing. You know, usually you're sleeping in the van or some stranger's house. But I absolutely loved it. It's memories I still think about till this day. And I'm glad I got to do it. You know, getting to see the whole country. I had never seen most of the places I had been. How was it for you? It was uh, um, probably the same as it was for you. I just... I had, uh, you know, no expectation level, you know, I probably had, um, an idea of what I wanted it to be like, but I, I, we, we booked all of it on, there was a magazine called book your own fucking life. I think you, it, you probably have heard of that before. It's like, you, you used to be able to go in there and look at every state alphabetically and find promoters. And so it was just sort of like crossing your fingers that the show was actually going to happen and that this is a real person, et cetera. And uh, sometimes shows didn't happen. Sometimes they did. Sometimes no one was there. Um, and it really felt like proper training. I didn't think that uh, at the time, but looking back on it, it's like, you know, you're, 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 you're training for, for what will happen later. You know, you, you have to go through this before anything decent or good happens for you. And so I went through it for a while. We did a lot of tours like that. And anytime there was a show that was actually good, meaning like 25 or 30 plus people um, and people bought your merch, it was like a huge win. And, uh, and those are the moments that I'll never forget. And, and just being young with my friends and figuring out, you know, are we sleeping on the beach tonight? Are we, are we sleeping at this person's house or whose turn is it to find a stranger that can put us up? Like that was, we did that for an entire U S tour like, and made it back home. Like it's, it's, it's unbelievable that we uh, made it that far. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It sounds crazy now, but it also sounds exciting. I love the idea of just going out there and you hope the venue's there. You hope the show is happening. You hope you find somewhere anywhere to sleep it's it, it sounds appealing i wouldn't want to do it now at 40 years old but it, it's it, i don't know it still sounds appealing i mean i have a good uh story from that tour briefly which is that we we we, we had a show in compton uh, and this is in like 1998 and we sh it like you know mostly uh uh mostly uh white kids you know I'm, I'm a person of color and we were on tour with with another band with one person of color, but it's like mostly like white suburban kids. And we rolled up to Compton to some venue and uh, the show was canceled. And we found ourselves with like some questionable people that uh, I don't know, like we were trying to figure out like what, where to stay and what to even do. And we, we like found like some like motel and like stayed there. <laughs> like <laughs> like it, it's so crazy to like think back and I was probably 17 years old. Um, and I'm like in Compton staying in like a weird, shitty motel. And, uh, you know, I, 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 I cherish those memories. It's again, it goes back to that age of innocence. Like I would never do that now, but it, it's, it's so cool to look back and, and just be like, we're, we're figuring these things out 
and, and they help you later on in life in more ways than you realize, you know? Oh, big time. Yeah. I feel like I can survive anything now. Yeah, totally. I mean, shit. Like, it's, it's, you don't learn how to live off of like pocket change in college or, uh, uh, things about friendship and, uh, how to be a good person, you know, you know, sure, there's fundamentals that, but like those sorts of things that are so personal, those are, uh, priceless, you know what I mean? And they, and they, and they, and they're life changing. So I, 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 it's really nice to look back at those memories and talk about it now and, and appreciate it in a different way. Yeah. And when you're young, you're so full of hope. I remember being out with my friend's band, like they're talking about recording the next record. Are we going to make it? Are we not going to make it? Are we going to be able to do the band still? It's just like, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Everything seems so strange. Yeah. And I, you know, it's really cool talking to you about this because I've done a bunch of podcasts and I feel like a lot of the same topics become regurgitated or rushed. And, uh, I, 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 on this particular part of, of my life, I, I like to kind of reflect and think about how we weren't trying to get big or, or do anything that most bands do today. It wasn't really on our mind. We just kind of wanted to play shows and have fun. Like we were too young and immature and, and dumb to think that far ahead. Nobody, (laughs) nobody was wondering if labels were going to come see us or if like any cool opportunities were going to happen. We just wanted to play music. So that's, that's a really nice memory to harp on a little bit because now it's hard to, to, to not think about that stuff when you are out playing music. It's, it's like almost automatically in your brain that you, you, you hope for these things that back then you don't even think about. Exactly. Yeah. I wanted to ask what your mindset was at the time. Cause you, you sound so young. So I guess you're like between the ages of 17 and 22 when this band is going on. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, we broke up. I was 22 or I was about, I was about 22, maybe 23 tops by the time we broke up. So are you pretty much just thinking, get to the next show, play the next show? Are you thinking long-term? Like where, where's your head at at this age? Me, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. You know, I was, I, I did have like it in mind that I wanted to play drums in a band and how cool it would be to do that. But I don't think I had the, intelligence level yet to even understand how that would happen. And this is pre uh, Thursday and like taking back Sunday and all of that stuff. So like, it didn't really seem like that was a possibility yet. Um, You know, once that door was broken down, um, I think that changed everything for everybody for some, for some of us for the better, for some of us, maybe for the worse, at that time, I, I did know that I loved playing drums and playing music, but I didn't know how you were even supposed to go about making that your life. A hundred percent. I couldn't. Need, I didn't even know how to get in a band. I didn't do that <laughs> until two thousand four. So, but I was seeing all these exciting things happening around me: Dillinger Escape Plan blowing up, Poison the Well blowing up, Thursday blowing up. So I was like, man, if I could just somehow get into this i just didn't know how yeah absolutely i mean and and you're and all you have is your imagination and your and your dreams um now things are so much more obvious and i think it's great because it, it is a the good thing about that today is that like if you have a goal there's so much you could just look up online and figure out how to get from point a to point b or just you know go in a forum and ask somebody you know but uh even back then to me blowing up at our level would be like Snapcase or, 
or like converge or something like exactly. that seemed like you blew up it were like sense field or text like any of that that seemed like you blew up you know yeah that's still my definition of blowing up like i don't you know anything beyond that is just like almost imaginary to me <laughs> i'm like wow if you could play shows the size converges you've made it that's it that's you know that's how i felt and 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 now looking back you know they were playing clubs and packing them out um yeah. you know i mean th- things have changed since then but at that time specifically you know they were playing places that might have not been that much bigger than the places we were in except their shows were sold out you know <laughs> so. yeah one thing i've realized too talking to so many musicians like yourself on this show is that i looked at these guys as like heroes and oh i still do but i looked at them as like these mythic figures and like almost older than me almost like adults but we're pretty much all the same age like we were all growing up and figuring out things together which i didn't really realize totally i mean but i think that i was the same way as you that's how i saw it i mean i was very much like idolizing a lot of these guys that i was watching play clubs when i was young uh, because it seemed like such a far reach like you know i knew that when i saw a veil that they were from virginia and that they were in long island so that seemed kind of wild that they that i i, I saw the, that they were playing the country but you know at the same time when you look back at it now they were kids just doing that you know um yeah it was just that like you know and people were doing that before them so um it doesn't take away from from that experience that you have that's so personal when it's you though and nothing can replace that so i think that you know I love that I was able to be, you know, experiencing that in that same context before things changed, you know? So 2004, you're what, 22 years old? I was 23 at that point. Uh, On the Might of Princess is done, right? Yes. Yeah, we broke up and uh, we uh, we were on Revelation at that point and put out a full length record. That came out. We did a European tour. That was kind of like our first and final uh, taste of like that sort of, uh, big, bigger leap that everyone else was taking. And then I started a band called Gracer, who was also on Rev, and that was a very short lived project, but, uh, also kind of like not, not, not in the same vein, but like in that sort of post hardcore, post hardcore is so vague, right? So it was still sort of like in the family tree of that genre, I guess you could say. So after these bands end, what is your plan? Do you do you you still want to do music? Did you ever think you were going to be out of music? I was going to school to uh, be a journalist, and my dream at that time was to be a music journalist. So I thought that I never thought that drumming could be a full time job, and I felt like maybe writing because I liked reading magazines, uh, everything from Rolling Stone to like small fanzines. So I w- I would pick up. Um, antimatter fanzine or, or we had this thing called under the volcano that was really popular in Long Island. And I would, in effect, fanzine was another good one. So I was just like, shit, like I could write and I assumed that these people made money, you know? <laughs> so I was very naive. I'm like, Oh, like this guy that has this magazine that's on sale at generation must make money doing this, you know? But, uh, journalism's like the one thing where you're guaranteed not to make any money ever pretty much. Yeah. I learned that pretty quickly <laughs> because I, I got some really cool opportunities. I did a front cover story for, uh, uh, death and taxes, which, uh, was an old magazine. It used to be called law of inertia. And I did a front cover story on Bad Brains, and I got to interview Dr. No and Daryl Jennifer. 
Uh, but I didn't get paid that much. So I, I learned pretty quickly, like even when you do cool shit like that, like this is not going to pay my bills. So I, I did that for a while. And then eventually I started booking bands at uh, small clubs in, in the Lower East Side and that paid my bills. And I kind of uh, networked throughout that time, got into ad sales for um, for media outlets, which is what I do now with Revolver, The Hard Times, and uh, Brooklyn Vegan, and a bunch of others that uh, that's my full-time job now. So kind of fast forwarding, but I, I, I just stayed in music and entertainment and kind of just kept networking and trying to see where it would take me and what would actually pay my bills. And that's kind of where I landed is, uh, you know, working at media outlets, but like selling ads and handling marketing initiatives and whatnot. How does that work? You have to go out to places and pitch ads or something like that? Uh, so it's a two part sort of thing. So one part of my job is I'm constantly dealing with record labels on email um, and on, you know, phone calls, Zooms and whatnot, and finding out what records they have coming out. So, uh, you know, I work with everyone from Metal Blade to Nuclear Blast, for example, and uh, we brainstorm what we want to do for like a Lamb of God record and what's going to help sell the most uh, copies. And so that's one part of my job. And then I also work with like Live Nation and find out about tours, like, you know, Mastodon's going on tour and what can we do to help sell more tickets. Um, and recently we started selling actual vinyl and merchandise on, on our website. So I also broker kind of deals with, uh, with, with management and, and labels to, uh, to, to help push all that stuff out. So that, that's what I do for a living now. And it, it took a long time though. <laughs> I just, I just fast forwarded 20 years basically. Yeah. You know, it was 20 years for me too, to get where I am today. And I still work a corporate job, but it just so happened that I ended up with a great division where I have a lot of freedom and I work from home and I don't have to travel anymore. And I don't have to put on a suit that often. And I don't have to go to offices really too much anymore. And God, am I lucky because when I think about years and years and years of doing that, it's uh, it's not fun. It's just not. I agree with you, and I'm glad to hear that because it's 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 so. Uh, um, what's what's the right uh, thing to say here? It, it's so common, you know. It's the American dream to just like get this job where you like go to this place and you hang out there in a suit from nine to five, and you wait until you can retire and you have your vacation time. And you know, I'm not uh, going to discourage anyone from doing that. That feels like that's for them. My parents did it and they're great and they're, and they retired and they're amazing. But I knew that was not going to work out for me. I tried it and I just couldn't fathom that for my life. You know, I, every day is so precious. I can't sit in a cubicle like that. And I I'd rather actually work. I I've worked every job you could imagine from guitar center to Starbucks. I'd rather do that. If I'm going to be honest with you, like I just wasn't cut out for that corporate life. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I've researched about you and I've heard that you, you worked corporate jobs before and you just explained what you're doing now. How do you get out? How do you build that up? My, I guess, let me answer that the best way I can. Like I was like my, my mother, uh, who was an immigrant from the Philippines. She's like kind of my role model. She, she worked at NBC for uh, a long time and she's just a hustler. And she would, she always had, the ability to go out anywhere, whether it was Chinatown or like, or just like a, a, a local store and just like always negotiate. She was always negotiating for, for a deal. And I, I think that had some sort of effect on me. And 
I learned how to like be a people person through that maybe. And I would kind of uh, naturally kind of always felt like I was like promoting or selling something. And that sounds gross, but it's like, I can kind of turn it off, but um, she was just a really good business person. And I, I, I really took a lot of that into my own, uh, my personality, um, you know, and so it, it's natural to me when I'm at a show now to like, kind of like, I might be talking to someone and I might just have like some crazy idea and want to talk about it instead of just being like a spectator, if that makes any sense. I'm always just like thinking about some cool opportunity for a band or a label or a venue or, or, or anything. It's just my brain is wired that way. So I think over the years uh, of being that way, I was able to sort of navigate socially uh, to connect with certain people that helped me land the job that I have. That's great. I love that. Yeah. I didn't get this job until I was 34. Um, and I had so many weird jobs, some corporate, some not in between that time. So like, I just, uh, you never know when, when something lands up on your lap. I, I, I had no idea I was going to end up doing music. You know what I mean? It was definitely not what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. I had no idea I was going to end up doing a podcast and here we are. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And you have like the best guests. That's why I was so excited to be here. Well, you can count yourself among them now, Chris. <laughs> thank you very much, Keith. <laughs> and thank you for saying that, by the way. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. I enjoyed uh, Jonah Matranga, Walter, of course, and uh, more recently, Adam McGrath. I'm still chopping down your uh, your episodes, but uh, but it's it's it was exciting to, to, to have this on, on the schedule for today. I have been fortunate, I will say that, because even before meeting Casey and hooking up with Iodine, we managed to get a lot of good guests. And I would think the pandemic played into that into that a bit because it was new. The podcast was new. So I was just reaching out to people and saying like, hey, you want to come on? And sometimes they would say yes. Absolutely. And Casey is a wonderful human being. It's uh, he, He's passionate and he is one of those people that, uh, you know, there's a lot of labels that are out there that are not as uh, in touch with the artist, and he's not one of those people. He's so hands on and so involved, and 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 I just can't say enough good things about him and Joe Grillo. It's it's a wonderful label to be a part of. Yeah, I you know I totally agree with you, and I wonder how Casey and Joe managed to do everything that they do with just with just them because they are very involved and they have such great insight you know like uh, yeah. it's like you said he's he's involved and he just he just sees things he just he just has great advice and great insight yeah you have to for this kind of stuff because we're in a niche sort of subculture and you're not doing this for money i mean if you you you, you can make money now because people have seemed to uh uh revisit a lot of the things that we all thought were cool 20 years ago all of a sudden, which is amazing for us. But, um, but it, it starts with passion when you're going to get, uh, involved with, with this kind of thing. You know, it has to be something that you love. A hundred percent. And, you know, this is a good segue. Let's talk about Light Tower. This is the new band. We have an EP out on iodine recordings. Talk about how it came together. Talk about some of your influences and folks, if you haven't heard it, you absolutely have to. If you like darker, moodier, post-hardcore, you know, with like a, a pinch of failure and hum, that's really my sweet spot. I listen to a lot of bands like that. I love bands like that. A lot of the music I end up writing sounds like that. I love it, Chris. So tell us about it. Yeah, absolutely. I basically 
had a collection of songs forever and I just never had the guts to, to do anything with it because I never sang in front of human beings before, not even my friends or family. Um, you know, it, it, it was, uh, something I knew I wanted to do, but I didn't know when. And I just turned, uh, 40, you know, shortly before the pandemic happened. So, uh, you know, it was kind of like the right time because I felt like I was getting older and, I was spending a lot of time that first six months uh, in 2020, like isolated at home. I was totally freaked out. I know a lot of people were, but I was so strict about it. Um, and if anything, I don't think uh, I would have ended up doing the light tower stuff had the pandemic not happened. Um, I felt pressure to like find ways to occupy my time. So, you know, I, I started doing some, online interviews like what you're doing with the age of quarantine on the St. Vitus channel so that it could make me feel like I was interacting with human beings and talking to artists and people that uh, I shared things in common with. And then I learned how to uh, self-record myself at home. And that's how the whole thing came about. And um, it also allowed me a lot of time to to uh, hone it in and and listen back and be like, that's not so good. Let me try that again. And so the three songs that are out on iodine right now were the uh, sort of the ones that I felt really good about. Yeah, I think they're great. And how long did you want to do a, a band like this before you actually did it? Like I wanted to sing. I can remember wanting to sing when I was 24 and I didn't actually try it until I was 36. I was just too afraid. Yeah, I'm still too afraid, but I do it. Like how long were you thinking about doing this? And well, let me start there. How long were you thinking about doing this before you actually did it? For a long time. Uh, it's hard to figure out like the exact time, but it, it was always in the back of my head that that uh, I knew how to write songs, and I had uh, been playing bass and guitar and 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 other instruments for a long time. But I think that because I was playing drums in other people's bands, like I was so used to uh, following you know, whoever the main songwriter was or, or groups of songwriters. Uh, and it never dawned on me that I should ever tamper with that or, or, or insert my, uh, opinion. Right. I just kind of went along with, with whatever the band wanted to do. So, you know, maybe it was 15, 20 years. I don't know, but it was a long time that I knew I wanted to do it. And, uh, I was 40, like I said, when I finally, uh, pushed myself to. And even now I'm still just getting comfortable, but having that first show, I think when you finally get out and sing in front of people, once you get over that hump, at least for me, the second time around was easier. And now it's a lot more, um, less nerve wracking, I'll say. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very liberating. It's, ex it's extremely liberating to just get that off of your bucket list, you know? I can't wait to hopefully do it soon because I, I fronted a band for the first time in 2018, but we broke up right after we put out the record. So we never got to play a show, but I'm putting together something now. And so I may finally sing live. I want that's on my bucket list too. I would love to uh, hear what you're doing. What, what, what bands did you play in? Let's see. The last band was called The Basement Year. I was in a band called zombie fight they're like a new york hardcore band yeah i know that wait a second i'm friends with uh oh my god um hillary, hillary. yeah yes yeah hillary and uh, friends 
I was in that band from 2015 to two, wait, 2014 to 2015. Uh, but then we broke up. Uh, let's see. I was in a band with members of All Else Failed and Backwoods Payback called Crash of 64. And we mostly just played around Philly. And well, that's about it. Some other stuff too. I love, I love Hillary and I see him often uh, at, at shows. That's really cool. I didn't know that you guys were in a band together. Yeah, he's great. The band was great. I still see him at gigs, so you know he's he's awesome. Well, we'll have to get together sometime with him. That'd be really cool. Absolutely, I'm down for that. And uh, so, when how did you start singing? Like, how did you piece it together? Me, I would you know I would book the practice space at Sweatshop when that was around, and I would get there half an hour early to like try to find the the way to sing that sounded the least bad, you know, or I would just book a session by myself and try different ranges to, to figure out what would work best. How did you do it? Where did you do it? I did it on my couch with GarageBand during, uh, during 2020. Right. And I was like, kind of just sitting here. Uh, I record once I figured out how to record all the tracks on GarageBand and program the drums, then I had the ability to sing and listen back. And I played it, for friends and it was really scary and embarrassing, but I played it for people I knew would be honest with me who either knew how to sing or, um, or just I respected their opinion. You know what I mean? And I had to have some thick skin because some of the stuff was like pretty embarrassing. And I was, um, you know, lucky enough that my friends were pretty honest with me when they liked something or didn't. And I, I just, uh, found my range. I'm like, okay, I can do like, uh, uh, a mid-level kind of vibe. Like I, I listen to Oasis and I know that I can sing along to that really well. Like I warm up to that. It's like, it's in my vocal range. I'm not going to put on rush. I'm not going to put on like, um, and I know that like, I'm not, uh, Freddie Mercury, you know, but I put on Oasis and, you know, I'm never going to be as good as, Liam or Noel, but I can sing in that register. So once I established that, I kind of figured out what my place was in the world. <laughs> that makes sense. I did that too. I, you know, I didn't figure out till I was in the studio. I was doing one song in a really high range. You know, I was trying to do like a like a Rush or Anthony Green thing. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And and I'm recording, and I'm like, I turned to my friend, the engineer, and I'm like, this isn't working, is it? And he's like. Well, you know, uh, we try and this doesn't say anything about your talent. He, he did like a really nice thing. And I was like, I was like, okay. So I dropped it down to like Matt Talbot range. And then I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm more comfortable down here. Yeah. I, I think that Matt Talbot is a great example of like somebody who is so subtle, but it's perfect. It's like, you don't have to push it if it's not going to work for you. Like working, I feel like it's like that in life. Like if you're, if you if 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 you're good at just playing power chords and you're never going to be a shredder, then write the best song that you can write with power chords and fucking strum the shit out of it. You know, it's like if you're if you can't play like you're in Meshuggah, but you can play like, um, you know, four on the floor, then play the fucking best four on the floor beat and kill it. You know, so it's kind of like a, a fundamental, I guess, at this point, I've kind of jammed into my brain. I know what I can't do um, and I know what I can, I think, at this point. <laughs> Exactly. I'm the same way. And when I heard Light Tower, I we must have similar taste or maybe similar play style because I heard it and I'm like, this sounds like what I would write. I love that. Oh, that's awesome. Well, if you ever end up 
doing stuff we should play together you know we'll we'll figure it out we're local to each other <laughs> we have to i'm i'm determined to get this set finished it's taking a while because there's been a lot of delays with uh pandemic and other things but you know i'm i'm focused now i haven't played a gig in a long time i need to do it absolutely but yeah the influences i think are probably similar i'm sure that you and i have a lot of that in common because of the types of guests you have on your show i mean i I fundamentally can't write without doing like a pop structure. It's, it's, it, you know, maybe I'll deviate from it, but I think I just listened to too much pop music growing up. So it's just always like this verse, chorus, verse, uh, you know, bridge, chorus, you know, kind of formula, but melody and, 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 uh, and, and I think darkness is something that I always kind of have in there because for me, it's just sort of, you know, part of like why I listen to music. I listen to a lot of like stuff out of, uh, at least when I was younger, out of frustration. So it's either always dark or angry, but um, at my age, I'm not really, uh, you know, I'm not starting a, 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 a you know, a metal core band at my age and screaming into a mic. I, I, I don't have that in me. So I think that uh, th- having a little bit of uh, uh, a somber darkness is, is always sort of like a thing that ends up in everything I write without me even, Thinking about it, it just kind of ends up that way. I, I'm with you on that, except I still do dream of like fronting a hardcore band one day. I never got to when I was younger, so who knows? One day. <laughs> I, I dream about it sometimes too. I I, I do play guitar in a uh, in a band called Total Meltdown. That's kind of uh, 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 our version of uh, Chromags or Leeway and that sort of old school uh, New York hardcore. But uh, but I'm playing guitar. I'm not I'm not I'm not walking around and. And fucking shouting in people's faces at this point in my life. <laughs> I do that, just not in a band. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so there's many projects you're involved with. We have Primitive Weapons. This is a great band. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's a band that's kind of on hiatus. We tried uh, for a long time. And truth be told, like I loved playing the band. But um, at the same time, it just didn't really feel like it was going past a certain ceiling. We kind of felt like we hit a ceiling. We did some really great tours. Um, and, uh, you know, Dillinger Escape Plan, Mutoid Man, uh, uh, Quicksand and Glassjaw. We did some really great shit. But, it, 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 you know, we did like so many. Jesus, I'm thinking back, like Take Mech Sunday, Circus Survive. But, but the band just like stayed at like uh, you know, it, it got a little bigger, but it, it never really, uh, it just felt like it hit a ceiling and, uh, a bunch of us were involved with other things. And we kind of just like one day we were just like not playing anymore, but we, we might play again, but it, it was a really fun band and we put out a few records. So they're, they're out there at least in the world, you know? Yeah, folks, check them out. If you have not heard them, Primitive Weapons, excellent band. It's like more in the noisy hardcore vein i love that kind of stuff thanks man i really appreciate yeah. that that's my that's that's the kind of stuff that i grew up listening to so it was nice to it was cool to kind of dabble in that you know and of course spotlights now this is a fantastic band <laughs> it's like a post-metal shoegaze i i love it i love that kind of stuff as well thank you yeah that's my um my main i'd say my main band because it's not like i wouldn't do something with light tower if like the opportunity uh uh uh, you know if i could get on a really great tour of course we're going to do uh do it but spotlights is like the band that i actually uh get to go out and play like pretty cool tours and um go overseas with and um and and it's uh just a really cool thing to be a part of. I'm so happy I met Mario and Sarah when I did. And it's uh, 
it's it's been really cool. We have a new record that we're working on right now. Oh, nice. When can we expect that? Definitely next year. Um, you know, we're 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 kind of in the middle of writing it, and we've done some pre-production, and I I can't wait to get this out because it's a little bit different from uh, the stuff that we've put out, but also not different enough where we're going to lose people or go over their heads. It's, uh, you know, I, did, I don't think anyone likes making the same record over and over again. So we're really trying not to do that, but it's, uh, it's so cool and fun to play with Mario and Sarah. They're just like really nice human beings. And, and it's hard to come across that. They're, they're, they're really sweet people. Yeah. How did you hook up with them? They moved here from the West coast, right? Yeah. They, they moved here uh, from San Diego. They're uh, a couple. Um, and, they were looking for drummers. And if I understand it correctly, I think they were going to St. Vitus. Uh, they were going to St. Vitus to check out bands and make friends. But I, I feel like they were going there also like watching drummers and trying to figure out who they could poach because they did poach a few uh, early on that didn't work out. And that's ultimately how they found me because they were watching me play in another band. And um, they were just uh, – I Primitive Weapons – had the same publicist. I heard titles, uh, which was, uh, one of the first releases. And I was blown away because I love failure and hum and deftones. And, you know, not that, uh, the band totally sounds like that, but I think, uh, at the time, like those were some really good comparisons. And I have finally met them at St. Vitus and it just was the right time. And they were looking for a drummer to fill in on a Deftones tour. <laughs> oh my God. So my, my first show with them was opening for Deftones and refused. And that was my intro to the band. And that was about six years ago. Was your head exploding? I mean, I would have been dude. If, all right. <laughs> I, I don't know if I could tell this whole story, but I do want to make your podcast more interesting than like most people that just tell their, their, their life story. And I, uh, certainly have done that, but I, I got, I almost got kicked off the tour before I played. Why? I had a, uh, a few things going on, which I was, I was, I was doing a lot of drugs and I was drinking a lot and I was, I had to get sober for a while, but, and I kicked the drug habit, but I, I don't think that I was like prepared to like walk into a situation where now I'm playing. Like I, I, I play big shows, but like when I showed up to, the Deftones refused like backstage. I was like blown away. I was like, Oh my God, like there's fucking catering and unlimited amounts of booze. I'm like, this is, this is the dream. Like, this is crazy. Like, um, and, and it was the first week was a different drummer. So they invited me to co the Coney Island amphitheater to watch them play before, like a couple days before I was about to start uh, my leg of the tour, which was like, I think it was the last two weeks. It was like three weeks or something like that. And, um, I got fucking loaded, uh, backstage and the, the whole night is a blur, but you know, it was definitely noticeable to Deftones management and they were like, who the fuck is this guy backstage? <laughs> um, <laughs> and I started my, uh, tenor off by having to apologize for getting too fucked up that night. And, um, by the time I played my first show, which was like, you know, a couple of days later, um, I was, uh, I was forgiven and, and eventually, you know, everybody kind of got to know me and knew that I just had a bad night, but it was, uh, it was an interesting, interesting ride. Um, and my head was exploding. I was extremely nervous. Um, most of the time you don't really expect the bands that you're opening up for to watch that particular night at Stone Pony. I remember seeing Chino 
on side stage and Dennis and like the whole, like Abe Cunningham, one of my favorite drummers. So I was like nervous as fuck, but I, I didn't really let it affect me. I felt like it was like everything I had dreamt for, you know? So I kind of, I kind of just owned it. (laughs) It's like, fuck, this is my time, you know? That's great. And I'm really glad that worked out because that would have been like a terrible memory if it's like you get kicked off the tour and that's it. So was it just that one show that went bad and then you pulled it together? Yeah, totally. I mean, I skipped some details. Like I I lost my backstage pass. They had to get me a new one. I, (laughs) I was, you know, when you go to a concert and like, uh, you, you're watching, uh, uh, like the screens that are like 800 feet tall and you could see the band. Like apparently I was just sloshed on stage during Deftones. So you could see me on those screens. Um, so it was, <laughs> it was, it was a rough night, but, uh, that was the only bad night. And I'm still, I, I became friends with, with everyone, um, and refused and Deftones and the whole crew and we're, we're all cool now, but it was a scary, um, it was a scary introduction for me uh into the band to go into it like that. and i i can't believe they kept me in the band this whole time so so i should publicly thank my bandmates for uh forgiving me for that moment <laughs> yeah absolutely how long did you go sober after that uh i went sober uh you know a couple times where it would be like 7 months 8 months and then i actually went three and a half years and it was really to to sort of kick this like uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it. It was a coke habit. Um, you know, I was really involved in nightlife, and I just, you know, New York City is such a tough, tough place in a way, depending on who you're friends with and what 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 you're involved with. And I was just falling into a deep, dark hole, and it was no good. And and now I'm kind of. Uh, it's been it's been years, and and I drink, but in moderation, and I, I have not uh, done hard drugs or anything like that for quite some time. Yeah, no, that's my story too. I was a mess for 15 years, and it took a village to get me to stop. So I haven't done anything in over five years now, but it has to be that way for me because there is no moderation. It it just can't be done. Right. It's like all or nothing. I felt like that for a while too. And then I start to get, and congratulations, by the way. I know it's not easy. Obviously, we share this in common. Um, Thank you. But I, I, I was like, sort of like, annoyed with like the sober world too. Cause it was like people in the sober world when I went to meetings and stuff would make it seem like I, I was just like them and it had to be all or nothing. And I just needed to make my own sort of life for myself. And I know, I know it's different for everybody, but I, I was very, I've never been like a group think person. So no, there's nothing that ever like really works well for me when it, when, when there's rules. So I just had to kind of like figure it out for myself and it's, you know, it's still um, one of those things where, you know, you're not invincible, but, um, but thank God, knock on wood, I've been able to uh, kick that habit and, and go out and still survive, you know? Yeah. And if you can make it work on your terms, that's fantastic. I would love to still be able to go out and get hammered once in a while and not have it be a disaster. But before I did what I was doing now, I tried every combination of everything, substitution or just stopping altogether. Like no matter what I tried, I would end up back in the same place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, 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 it becomes harder in a way when your surroundings and the things that you're interested in are still the same. Um, yeah. you know, I know people that like left and went and became fucking like, Buddhist and moved to like <laughs> Asia or, or they, or, or whatever, you know, like drastic lifestyle changes. Like I have no plans of leaving New York and I have no plans of not working in music or being in a band. So like, you know, 
every time we go out, we're dealt with the same, you know, um, hand of cards, as they say. So, um, you know, it's, 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 it's very, um, it's Groundhog's Day. And, and I'm watching this show right now called, uh, Shining Girls, where this person travels through time and like, it's like Groundhog's Day, but like somehow, like based on the decisions of people that are made, um, you have to kind of watch it, but it kind of changes the course of, of their fate. And so, it reminds me of kind of what we're talking about right now. Cause you know, you wake up and do the same, you have the same things in front of you, but if you can train your mind somehow to not do the same thing you did yesterday, you know, you never know your day could end up way better, you know? Yeah. I used to be a menace going to clubs and places in Bushwick and St. Vitus and all that stuff, just out of my mind, drunk and high. And now I can go to those places and be fine. Now, Granted, it can be difficult. Like when I go to St. Vitus, sometimes it's a little difficult. And I'm like, wow, I used to come here and get really effed up. And I would still like to do that. I just can't do it anymore. I, I would not be surprised if we could run into each other at some point. I, I, I know. I, I, we, maybe I'll see your face and be like, I know you. But I, I, it's, <laughs> it seems like based on what you're talking about that it's, uh, that it's possible for us to not come into uh, some kind of uh, – you know, bump in or something. <laughs> yeah, we've definitely been in St. Vitus at the same time before. We, I don't know if we've spoken to each other, but it, but it, yeah, you, you, like I was talking to you before the show, you look very familiar. Nice. Well, we'll, we'll have to change that. So, but yeah, I, your story is the same, uh, the fundamental of it, at least. I feel the same way. So, uh, doing some research about you, Chris, I, you are starting a songwriting production team with Sergio Vega. From Quicksand and formerly Deftones, yes? Correct. Let's talk about this. This is intriguing. Sergio, I met, uh, you know, just a quick backstory. I actually met him as a fan before he was in Deftones. I think he had filled in for them at one point. But when I moved to the city uh, on East 5th and Bowery, I was hanging out at a place called Lit. Maybe you've been there. Um, Oh, yeah. And he was a DJ there with Chaka from Burn and Orange Nine. So I would see them there often and had friends that worked there. And I was just starstruck. So I would talk to them. I don't even know if he remembers that so much. Uh, you know, I've, I've told him about it, but, um, a lot for a lot of us, those days are kind of like, uh, hazy, but <laughs> that's my recollection of meeting him. And then when we got that Deftone store that I was just talking about, actually, I skipped another part. I was working out at a gym. I still go there sometimes. It's in, it's in, uh, Bushwick and it's called physical culture collective. And it's Gavin from the band burn, um, his gym. And I would run into Sergio there. Uh, at this point, he's now in Deftones and we saw each other there. And then I ended up on this tour. So then we saw each other again. So we had just been like, sort of like crossing paths so much at a, at, at, at a certain point, it was like unavoidable, and uh, and then Spotlight ends up on tour with Quicksand. So there's another time that we're kind of crossing paths. When uh, the pandemic happened, he reached out to me and had a wonderful idea about, you know, as we're aging, you know, you know, who knows? Like, we may not want to tour anymore. We may not be able to. And you have to kind of set yourself up uh, in a way to to continue writing or recording or being active in, in music and and. And also for, for us, like, you know, we're trying to, uh, make a living in, in some way, you know, it's a lot of side hustles and a lot of stuff like that collectively makes up your living when you're kind of living this way. Um, and I think, uh, he had this genius idea, which is like, you know, in hip hop, 
you have Dr. Dre or NERD or, um, you know, even like if you want to go into other sort of aspects of production, you know, like there's like the wrecking crew from back in the day where they wrote and performed so many songs on so many records from like beach boys to Elvis. And like in our genre, you don't really hear so much about that. You know, it's like, there's like a couple of key players that are producers, but him and I collectively play every instrument. You know, he has demoed songs for his bands where he wrote and recorded everything and sent it to them. And I do that with Light Tower. And I also play other instruments that I don't even play in Light Tower. I play uh, keys. I play, you know, um, you know, I've, I, I even dabbled in horns and things like that. So like, we're just both very uh, eclectic and how we can kind of uh, contribute on that level. So we thought, what what a cool idea would it be to, to put ourselves out there. We can write albums, we can write songs, we can perform on them. And uh, we are working on a track with Keith Buckley from Every Time I Die at the moment. Uh, and we have like other stuff in the works. So the idea is to get these singles out and um, start doing more collaborative work. And, and we have a name and all that. And I think he's kind of wanting us to kind of hold off on sharing some more additional details. But essentially we're, uh, producers and performers that uh, want to get into that realm. Yeah, so it's almost like uh, artists was, would work with you as like a producer, like you would help them with songs or or punching up something. Like, is it like that kind of deal? I mean, more blatantly, I mean, like, you know, you could kind of look at it this way, like perhaps there's a Ghost Man album and he needs somebody to write that record and perform on it, or he needs someone to write and perform two songs or you know, maybe Miley Cyrus wants to put out an album and they're looking for songwriters and people to play on it. Like we're totally um, looking to kind of go into that uh, direction. But I think for now we're starting with the singles to kind of get our music out in that uh, respect so that people can kind of see what we're doing. But, you know, we're, we're not looking to tour or do anything outside of the studio. So we just want to be like in the studio uh, working on what ends up on the records. I love that. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, because I, I have a, from my last band, I have one song in my head that I have to record at some point, but I don't have a rhythm section. So yeah. it's like I could I could go in and be like, guys, here's what we're going to do. And boom, it's done. Yeah. Uh, you know, in theory, you know, we we we, we don't have like a too, too defined of like a, a thing where we're like, we want to be very open about, about the whole thing, but more, more, more predominantly just to kind of like make it uh, clear that like we're basically studio uh, people as opposed to like, you know, if we wrote and recorded music for somebody, you know, the hopes is that we would, we could be at a festival and, and a band is performing that music and we're, and we're in the audience or watching it and like, wow, that's cool. Remember when we wrote that, you know? So let's talk about what we've got coming up. Now we have a new Spotlights record coming up, but it's not announced yet, so we can't give the name or anything yet, right? Yeah, I mean, we we, we can say that uh, that that there's a new Spotlights record coming out in 2023 on Ipecac, but uh, we don't have any uh, uh, like title or anything like that yet. Excellent. And folks, Light Tower, the self-titled EP is out now on Iodine Recordings. If you're into post-hardcore, shoegaze, the kind of darker alternative stuff, Definitely check it out. I mean, check it out anyway. What do you, what do you what do you have to lose? You have everything to gain 
and nothing to lose. I love the EP. Now you've played some gigs. Do you have any more coming up? What's the plan? Yeah, absolutely. I have um, a gig coming up on July 31st at St. Vitus, and it's the anniversary of Limited to One Records, a great record store. And uh, the lineup is going to be announced soon. It's really exciting. And then um, late August, I'm working on a string of dates uh, to go to uh, Philly, uh, Connecticut, and Boston, um, that's going to be with a band called Twin uh, and a band called Lamakia. Um, you've had him on your show, I think. Yes. No, wait, aren't you like managing him? That's correct. Yeah. So that's John from Candiria. His his record yeah. is so good. Yeah, I like it a lot. Thanks, man. I just uh, am so proud of him because he's Candiria was up there with Meshuga and Dillinger Escape Plan and John being such a huge force in the songwriting, I felt, you know, could have been uh, you know, hailed like Ben Wyman or, 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 or Greg or any of these guys. But, uh, you know, they had a pretty nasty car accident and that kind of stunted things for them. But him, uh, putting out this record is a really big deal for him. And I, I'm so happy that people are digging on it and that you've supported, uh, him by having it on your podcast. Yeah. When I was talking to him, he said that you were managing him. And in my head, I was like, Oh, I'm having him on the show too. Great. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it was a good episode. And, uh, what was I saying? Um, oh, and we have um, a show on August 31st at the Broadway in uh, in Bushwick, and it's with the band called Freezing Cold and a band called uh, The Pauses, who are wonderful. And we have some more shit uh, coming up later on this year that we're going to be uh, announcing eventually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I got to come check you out. Please. Yeah, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll definitely list you. It'd be cool to meet you in person. Absolutely. We got to do it. So, uh, is there any other band or anything we didn't talk about that you want to mention in the end? I, I do have a band called Total Meltdown. I mentioned we have an EP out and, you know, anyone that's into sort of uh, burn or leeway or chromags, you know, that's sort of like the, the vibe. And uh, I want to shout that out because we have some shows coming up um, as well with that project. But yeah, man, I, I, I just want to thank you. Uh, it's really exciting to be on your show. Like I said, so um, you've got a really cool thing going and all of your episodes are always really fun. Awesome. Well, Chris, thank you so much for saying that. And thank you for being on the show. You know, you've, I mean, the amount of great music you've produced and are producing is just awesome. It's great to talk to you and, uh, I'm sure we'll meet soon. Yes, sir. And, uh, take care, man. And we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get together soon. And there you have it, Chris Enriquez. That was an awesome conversation. And Joe, like I mentioned in the first segment, you know, I'm really connected with him uh, from his upbringing in New York. Now, I didn't grow up in New York, but I always like to hear about people's upbringing in New York and the show-going experience, just talking about some of the legendary performances that we've seen over the years and his experience from the beginning to On the Might of Princes all the way up until Light Tower great conversation. And even uh, just some of the struggles that he shared with uh, sobriety and mm -hmm. that story he told about almost blowing the Deftones story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad that he shared that because, you know, I, and I'm just really happy that everything worked out because, you know, everything's fine. The tour went great. So we can look back on it and laugh now. And, you know, he learned from it and I'm just I'm glad he's doing well and super nice person. 
Well, Chris is just, he's, he's, you know, inspiring um, and inspired. And he's the perfect example of like, you know, a fan who not only got to, I mean, what band hasn't he seen, let alone been in, you know what I mean? Like not, he, he, all his heroes, he's seen them or he's been in their bands, you know, it's incredible. Um, and it's just through, you know, the honestly determination, hard work and skill. I mean, his, his, his chops at, at drums, his chops on bass, his chops on guitar, his chops singing now. Um, it's just, he, nothing stood in his way. He's like, you know what? I want to do this and I want to do it well. I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it well. And I'm going to do it so well that I perform at the level that the people that, that really inspire me perform at. And he did it repeatedly for years and years and years. It's really, um, it's inspiring. I said that before, but it's true. That's the thing that I think about most when I think about Mr. Enriquez. Yeah. He seems like a consummate professional. Like if I'm putting together a band and I can get him in it, he's going to show up, he's going to be ready and whatever instrument he's playing, he's just going to kill it. Yeah. I mean, honestly with, with Judas knife, um, when we, you know, we won't practice for months at a time. We'll meet up at time to load in for the show. We'll have a pickup practice, maybe to just like mark through the songs. And then we play the show and it's like, I don't worry for a moment that that he doesn't have everything covered. That's awesome. Yeah, and he does. You know, and the, everybody in the band is like that. But you know, Chris is just one of those special people that you know, if he says he's going to do something, he will, and he'll do it uh, expertly. Now, Joe, since you're here, since I have you here, let's let's talk about how we are doing. And by we, I mean you. I mean, people <laughs> hear from me enough. Let's give it to us, Joe. What's going down with you? Uh, musically, things are things are crazy. Um, you know, her heads on fire has been building momentum since the first single came out. Actually, before that, since the split with Jay Robbins came out at the top of the year, so things have been just going pretty damn smooth. Uh, our last single came out, and the album drops uh, Friday, uh, the 29th. And you know, working with Casey on that, um, the band playing shows, getting out there. We're going to be getting on the road uh, with one line drawing, and um, Joe from Smoker Fire. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a brief tour down to uh, Fest. That, yeah, that sounds like a great little iodine tour. You, uh, one line drawing, you in Her Head's on Fire, and Joe from Smoker Fire. Yeah, it's going to be a hoot. I mean, I can't imagine the tour stories that <laughs> we'll all be <laughs> sharing backstage. You know, not, not trying to one-up each other. But the thing the thing about tour stories is, is you're not trying to one-up each other as much as you're trying to um, say... D- did this happen to you too? Have you had this ex- common experience? Have we shared this experience? Um, because it's like, you know, being in a room with people that have been touring musicians for decades is a particular mindset that you can tap into. So, you know, I get to to pick apart Jonah's and Joe's brain and, and uh, you know, talk to them like, hey man, have you ever played this place? What did you think <laughs> of this? Or, you know, we've all been on major labels. Was it weird for you? Yeah. You know, so... <laughs> That, that's that's always fun to talk about. Having spoken to all of you, I can almost hear the conversations and each person's unique flavor. And I, <laughs> I wish I could be there to hear some of it. Well, hopefully, hopefully the later the nights get and the more the tour goes on, the more ridiculous it'll get. And uh, how's everything going with the label? I mean, you gave us some updates in the first part. It sounds like good things are happening all the time. Great things are happening all the time. And there's something that's going to happen in November that is you're never going to not hear about. And I'm not going to say anything more than that, but something's happening in November that you're never going to not hear about. I think I know what that is. And 
you know what? I'm not even going to speculate a little bit. I'm just going to nod my head in agreement. I'm doing that right now. Good, good. Um, that'll be, <laughs> that'll be, if I had champagne, I would open it. Um, yeah. If I could still drink champagne, I would go to your wine store. Yeah. And buy a bunch and drink it. But that would be fun. We could, we could go through and I could be like, well, you might want to try, try the Charles Heidsick or, um, you know, the Paul Roger, depending on if you're going to have it with caviar or lobster. Yeah. You know, I, I really want to, but if I do that, there's a good likelihood that you'll never hear from me again and there'll be no more podcasts. Oh, no, we're not. Then, then, then I would rather have the podcast and hearing from you. Alcohol, alcohol is definitely not worth that. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And how are you doing personally, Joe? I mean, it's been a little while since I've spoken to you. I'm good. I'm, I, I feel it's always, it's always trying to keep things in that moment, in that, in that, you know, that, that sweet spot on the surfboard. You know, there's so much going on around you and there's so many things that you're doing and involved in. You know, I was talking with um, uh, Vinny from, from I Am the Avalanche in the Movie Life the other day. He came out to one of our shows at St. Vitus and he, he asked me, he's like, you know, how, is it, how has fatherhood changed you? Because he's not a, a dad himself. And I said, man, I think more than anything, fatherhood has made me acutely aware of my own mortality. And, and I just, I feel so lucky to be able to play music, uh, with the caliber of musicians that I'm able to collaborate with, to perform at the, you know, places I'm able to perform with other people to share that experience. Um, I feel so fortunate to, to be able to watch my children grow up and, and give them experiences if it's a hayride or swimming or, you know, kayaking or whatever we're doing. It's just like, everything is so, uh, everything feels like it's dialed up to 20, um, these days, but in a great way, not in a, not in an overwhelming way, but in a way that, that makes me want to just hold on to every second of life and savor it. Um, I'm in a really, I've been in a really good place. Um, and it's something I just want to continue as much as I can. I love that. I feel the same way. I mean, it was a mere, five, it was a mere five years and some months ago that I was still like horribly addicted to drugs and mm -hmm. hating myself and not doing anything. And I just had a really bad outlook in general, which I was carrying for a long time. And I never would have imagined now that I'd be here talking to you. And same thing, I'm working on music that I love. I'm working on content that I love between the gaming stuff and the mm -hmm. podcast, which I get to do every week. I get to talk to all the musicians that I loved growing up. So I really appreciate every day. And I, I've say, I know uh, to everyone listening, I know I've said this a lot lately, but you know, if I even feel a little bit down, I just think about five years ago and I'm like, wow, yeah. like <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. So do you still, do you still wake up and like, be like, oh my God, I'm sober. Oh my God, I'm not hungover. What a wonderful feeling. Um, not most days because mm -hmm. it feels kind of distant at this point. That's great. But th there's moments where I really think about it, especially when I fly. Like today I flew mm. and it, it kicks up a lot in airports because, you know, I'd usually be in pretty bad shape flying somewhere. Yeah. And then I'd run out and then I'd have to fly home and rush home to get more. Mm -hmm. So uh, times like right now, I'll think about it a little more. And then I'm like... Mm -hmm. Hey, I can, I can go to the airport and I can sit down and have a meal and I can drink water and I mm -hmm. don't have to rush home like a lunatic to uh, make a phone call because I'm sick. Right. Yeah. So it's a uh, key moments like that that I think about it. 
God, that's awesome. It's so wonderful. I just wake up happy. I'm like, I'm working from home and then I can just ease into my day like an old man into a warm (laughs) bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) The older you get, the more the routine sets in and you savor it. There's nothing wrong with routine. Exactly. And if I, oh, if I had kids, forget about it. Like Joe, I'm on YouTube and I'll watch like an old thing that I watched as a kid. And it it doesn't even have to be sad necessarily. And I'm almost in tears. So Mm -hmm. if I had kids and I was sharing these experiences with kids and making new ones with kids that are mine, I would be a blubbering mess all the time, but that would be too busy. You're too busy to be a blubbering mess. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, you'll have those moments like, like you know, right before you fall asleep, you'll be like, oh my God, that was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> You're just too damn busy. How many kids do you have? I've got twins and they're seven and that's all I'm going to have. No. Yeah. Twins? Yeah. One boy, one girl. It's great. You have fraternal twins? Mm-hmm. That's incredible. My sister has fraternal twins. And Tommy, my old co-host on this show, who you yeah. know, he he had twins as well. It's intense. A lot of twins out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also pretty. The only the only downfall of it, and I think I actually mentioned this when we did our the podcast originally, is you never feel like you have enough time for each of them. You know, so like, so sometimes like Nina will come downstairs before Leo gets up, and I'll have breakfast with just her. And it's so sweet and beautiful and nice. And I'm like, oh man, this is nice to just like, to be like, just you and me rather than like with the both of them where I'm like, I'm constantly putting out fires. <laughs> don't do that. Use your fork. Go ahead. Don't know. You need to chew. Don't, can you please sit up straight? You know, like that kind of stuff. It's just like, <laughs> but, um, but anyways, yeah. I wonder how you find all the time between the two bands, the label and twins. I drink a tremendous amount of coffee and I don't watch sports. Yeah. And I don't, I don't follow sports. I don't watch TV. I have no shows that I watch. Like once in a blue moon, my wife and I will watch like, um, I don't know, we're still in the second season of Shit's Creek. You know what I mean? Like that's like, that's the, my entertainment. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm just constantly working on either the podcast or other content. And I mean, I don't watch a lot of TV shows. I don't watch sports. It's like podcast, band, gaming content whatever else I'm doing. Cause I get, cause you get whatever you need from that. I mean, it's like, it's not to knock people that watch sports or, or TV shows. I mean, that's great. Like if, if they're, whatever they're getting from that, that, you know, as long as it's enriching, I mean, that's wonderful. But I, I get what I need from doing a little bit more, trying to be a little bit more active in projects as opposed to, um, as much as I love watching films or, or like really good TV. Um, I get more out of just creating. Yeah. And I have been watching a little more TV. Have you watched Better Call Saul? No. I, I love Bob Odenkirk since Mr. Show, but I, I, I'm sure it's phenomenal. Did you watch Breaking Bad back in the day? No. And, and I, it's because my wife was like seven months pregnant and we watched the first episode of Breaking Bad together. And I just looked at her and I said, I'm sure this is brilliant. I'm sure it's great, but with a baby on the way or two on the way, I just don't have room in my life for this much negativity. And I can tell that this is only going to get more and more negative. There's going to be no, no horizon for these folks. It gets grim. Yeah. It gets grim. So yeah, just save those for one day if you're, you know, if you, if you feel like diving down into the, the depths. So yeah, that's it for this one. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chris. We hope you enjoyed hearing from us. And I've got a special bonus episode dropping this week on Thursday. So make sure you tune in for that. I'm going to give you a hint. It's a band I've been talking about a lot lately, and they're really good. 
Hmm? Think about it. Think about it. So that's it. See you Thursday. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and see you Thursday.